0: Welcome back to another edition of On the Record, the Daily Iowans weekly news podcast where we break down the paper's top headlines from the week. I'm your host and co-producer Eleanor Hildebrandt and I'm here with our co-producer Haley Marks. On today's episode we have three special guests. We will be chatting with the Daily Iowans news reporters Lillian Poulson and Natalie Dunlap about their stories from this week. We will also check in with arts editor Josie Fishels about her story on University of Iowa developed COVID-19 saliva tests that are making in-person rehearsals possible for the university's performing arts departments. Whether you're in the car, at home, or in the classroom, we'd like to welcome you to this Friday, November 13th edition of On the Record.
1: Haley Marks, On the Record's co-producer, and here are this week's headlines. On Wednesday, the Daily Island reported 74 new cases of COVID-19 on the University of Iowa's campus. As of November 11th, 20 additional employees and 54 students self-reported cases of COVID-19 since Monday, November 9th. As of Wednesday, there have been 2,581 positive coronavirus cases since students returned to campus for the fall semester in August. We are one week away from Thanksgiving break. After, all classes will be moved fully online. In Monday's print edition, the Daily Island looked at Joe Biden's path to the White House and his three presidential campaigns. Biden was declared the president-elect and Kamala Harris vice president-elect on Saturday, November 7th, four days after voting closed in the 2020 election. University of Iowa students and Johnson County locals grappled with the realities of how a contentious election has affected their day-to-day lives. In Iowa City, there was a celebrity car parade hosted by Johnson County Supervisor Roseanne Porter after the presidential race was called. Others opted to keep their reactions private. On Tuesday, the Daily Ion published a story about a new Iowa City Police Department policy that will limit when police officers stop residents based on only on minor pedestrian traffic violations that do not pose an immediate threat to public safety. Kevin Washburn, Dean of the University of Iowa College of Law, was taking temporary leave for federal public service to aid President-elect Joe Biden's t- transition until December, leading the U.S. Department of Interior Review Team. Washburn served as Assistant Secretary of Indian Affairs at the U.S. Department of Interior for four years during President Obama's administration. Because of a high positive rate for COVID-19 in Johnson County, Iowa City Schools will move online for two weeks during November 16th. The two weeks online will take the district through Thanksgiving break. The Board will reevaluate on November 24th if the students continue online or move back into the hybrid format for standard enrollment.
0: The UI announced its Presidential Search Committee members on Tuesday. They will be tasked with selecting finalists for the next president of the university. The individuals who have been appointed to the committee are from a variety of disciplines and all four branches of shared governance are represented. In Wednesday's print edition, the Daily Iowan published a piece about how Senator Kamala Harris, who was the first black South Asian-American woman elected to hold the vice presidency, is encouraging women across the nation to fulfill their dreams in leadership. In the most recent edition of our Amplify page, the DI featured four first-generation UI students. The four students discussed what it's like to be the first in their family to attend college during first-generation week. Former University of Iowa president David Skorton, who led the UI from 2003 to 2006, will serve on the Arts and Humanities Agency's review board for the Joe Biden-Kamala Harris transition team. And on Thursday, the State Board of Regents announced its selection of AGB Search as the search firm that will be helping the 21-member committee find the 22nd president of the University of Iowa. AGB will be paid $90,000 plus expenses for its services. You can read all these stories and more in the Daily Iowans print editions on Mondays and Wednesdays or online anytime at dailyiowan.com. Lillian Polson, a news reporter who covers the University of Iowa's hospitals and clinics for the Daily Iowan, wrote several stories this week about the COVID-19 pandemic and its impact on the University of Iowa as well as the state of Iowa. Welcome back to the studio, Lillian. How are you?
2: I'm good. How are you, Eleanor? I'm good. So
0: this past Monday... You wrote a piece about UIHC making staffing changes in order to combat the COVID-19 pandemic more effectively. Can you tell us a little bit about what procedures are changing to prepare for a potential surge in novel coronavirus cases?
2: Yeah, so um, there was a statement sent out to staff on Monday. Um, So obviously there are a lot more people in the hospital. Yesterday it was 1,135 Iowans in the hospital. Which is an insane amount of, an insane number, record breaking. So basically, they wanted to increase the number of people working from home. Um, and they're also working to change the cost reduction of unpaid weeks and vacation. So people should be taking more time off that's unpaid if they can. Um, and then they're expected to work from home if they can do so productively. Um, like, additionally, for people that aren't employees and just for patients in the hospital, um, they're going to be changing visiting hours. Um, and for employees, they're trying to increase the number of staff on COVID 19 floors. Um, and they're working to increase the bed space, and they're changing quarantine guidelines for hospital staff, which means that if you were exposed to someone with COVID, but you don't have any symptoms and you tested negative, you still are expected to come um, work, which is different from what they've done in the past. And this is supposed to be like the first phase of their three phase plan.
0: And so how long are they planning to enact this first phase of their plan before they move on to a second or third phase?
2: Yeah so they're kind of just waiting so November 30th is kind of the day of when they're deciding like how big of a deal um, this pandemic will be on the hospitals so if numbers don't go down Um, By the 30th, they're probably going to have to institute um, more measures and go to the second phase of the plan. Um, So obviously a lot is still up in the air because it's waiting for numbers and who's available for staffing. But if things don't change by November 30th, they're really worried about like the long lasting effect it will have on the hospital.
0: And alongside all of these changes, some news came out about the Pfizer vaccine trials that are partially being conducted at the University of Iowa. How is that trial going and what has changed in recent weeks?
2: Yeah, so um, recently Pfizer reported a 90% efficacy rate for preventing COVID-19. So that's obviously better than a lot of other vaccine manufacturers that are currently working on um, vaccines for COVID-19. So as was said on like an earlier episode by me, um, EIHC is very optimistic that this vaccine will be ready in as little as a few weeks. So some trial sites, including like the UI are currently in phase two with good results. So phase two is, um, larger, like, human clinical trials. So there are a lot of good improvements and they're hoping that they can get the vaccine out soon to like healthcare workers, other people who are vulnerable to the disease, including like elderly and people with pre-existing conditions.
0: And as UIHC prepares for this potential ramp up in COVID-19 cases, you covered a press conference that was held by Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds on Tuesday. How was the governor planning to change how Iowa has been handling COVID-19?
2: Yeah, so um, Kim Reynolds implemented the first statewide um, mask mandate um, on Tuesday, so that came into effect at midnight. And basically, that this is the case for if people are inside with more than 25 people, they need to be wearing a mask and social distancing as much as possible. Same is the case if there are over 100 people and they're outdoors. So obviously, this is in response to like the increasing case numbers in the hospitals and just um, in Iowa and in Johnson County. So. Groups are also going to be limited to eight people. So unless they're in the same household, if they go to like a bowling alley or something like that, they're going to meet eight people in that group. And then master will will be required for employees and customers. If they go to get their hair cut, like a salon or a barbershop, they get a tattoo. If they go tanning stuff like that. Also like, Sporting events for like um, student athletes, they're only allowed to be two spectators at the event. This is just to kind of limit the amount of people in the gym that hold these events. And then she's also encouraging employers to have more people working from home if their job um, allows them to do that. Um, So if people aren't like following this mask mandate, then they might receive a misdemeanor charge um, if they're caught by like the police. Big changes.
0: Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast this week. We can't wait to read more of your stories in the DI in the coming weeks.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having
0: me. Next, Natalie Dunlap, a news reporter for the DI who covers lower education, continued to follow the race for Iowa's second congressional district between Democrat Rita Hart and Republican Marionette Miller-Meeks. Welcome back to the studio, Natalie. How's everything going?
3: Hi, Eleanor. I'm doing well. Yesterday was a bit of a blur, but I'm
0: ready to explain why. <laughs> Yeah, so following the election on November 3rd, over a week ago now, you have been following the close race in Iowa's Southeast House of Representative District. What has happened kind of since last Tuesday when the votes were cast?
3: Yeah, it's been a pretty dramatic congressional race. So Republican candidate Marionette Miller-Meeks came out of election night with just 282 votes more than Rita Hart, the Democratic candidate. And a little past midnight, so like early on Wednesday morning, Miller Weeks called herself the new congresswoman for the 2nd Congressional District of Iowa. And following that claim, the HART campaign sent out a message saying the race was too close to call and they were going to get the results through the absentee ballots that hadn't been um, counted yet, because they have until November 9th to arrive. Kevin Hall from the Iowa Secretary of State's office said more than 12,000 absentee ballots had yet to be sent to the county auditor's office by the morning of November 4th for voters in that congressional district. So it wasn't, it was too close to call at that point. And then on Friday morning, we found out about the first human error that has occurred in this race, which happened in Jasper County. At one of the precincts, there was a human error in transferring the voter data and correcting that mistake actually gave, gave Rita Hart a lead of 162 votes. And just like to remind you of how close this race is, only 561 people voted at that precinct, but just that small change um, affected who was leading the race. And then on Tuesday, we found out about another human error that occurred at Lucas County, and that ended up giving Miller Meeks the lead with just a few dozen votes. And right now, Miller Meeks leads with 42 votes. Yes, that's a pretty
0: tight margin there. What is being done in reaction to these human errors that have been made in two of the counties for the Iowa's Second Congressional District.
3: In both instances, there was a press conference with the Secretary of State and then the auditor where the mistake occurred. Both times, Pate kind of gave a similar speech saying the system was working and they caught the errors and that he wanted to protect the integrity of the election. So he ordered a recount in both of the counties. Jasper County already completed their recount and there will be a recount on Thursday in Lucas County to confirm that the new numbers that they put into the system are correct.
0: And obviously, this race is taking a little bit longer than anyone anticipated because of these human errors and just kind of making sure every single vote is being counted. How are the Hart and Miller-Meeks campaigns reacting
3: to this recount? So as you might expect, they responded more favorably to whatever correction put them in the lead. So on Friday, when the mistake in Jasper was discovered, the Miller-Meeks campaign was not happy and they said they didn't have enough information about this correction that was being made. And then the HART campaign said they were concerned about the Lucas County correction, which put them behind because they said they kind of found out about this at the 11th hour. And then last night, there was kind of a press release battle between the candidates at 730. The Miller-Miggs campaign put out a press conference where she said she was the winner and basically the election was over. And then about 30 minutes later, the Hart campaign said votes still need to be counted. And they believed when all this was over that Hart would be the next congresswoman. So it's very much still up in the air and they're not going to do that recount until Thursday. So we're going to probably have to wait a little longer until the final results are known.
0: Speaking of those final results, is there any timeline that the auditor or any one from these counties has kind of given on recounts or on the finalization of a vote?
3: The counties are supposed to have certified their results either on Monday or Tuesday, but right now on the Secretary of State's website, not all of the counties are showing up as certified, and that's like in the congressional district and outside in different congressional districts. So I'm not sure if they just haven't updated that or if they're waiting a little bit, but the statewide election certification happens on November 30th, so that's like the final day when things will be solidified.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully things get figured out soon, but thank you for sharing your story with us. We will continue to follow your coverage of this district, and we look forward to having you back to chat about future stories. Thanks, Eleanor. Finally, this week, we have Josie Fishels, one of the arts editors at The Daily Iowan. This week, Josie covered the University of Iowa Theater Department, School of Music, and Dance Department using a COVID-19 saliva test developed by researchers at the university to safely rehearse and perform. Welcome back to the podcast, Josie. We're excited to have you on this week. excited to be back. Yeah, so in your piece you wrote about how saliva testing is allowing performing art students to safely rehearse and perform during the pandemic. How was this test developed and how are the university's departments utilizing it right now?
4: Yeah, first of all I just really love this story and my opportunity to do it because It's one of those rare moments when art and science intersect, and I love that. Um, So it's a really cool story how this all got started. Uh, For people who maybe want to know more, I know a certain podcast host who wrote about how this all got started and kind of prefaced its development. Um, My story kind of goes into a little deeper trend. Um, A lot of performing arts have been using this test. And I'll go into why. But at the very beginning of this, um, we're at the beginning months of the pandemic. It's in the spring. And that's right around where we started doing the nasal swab tests and noticing that we're getting a lot of shortages and PPE nasal swaps to perform that test. Medical personnel to perform that test. Um, and UI researcher and professor Val Sheffield realized that there's like this extreme shortage and wanted to kind of combat that. Um, What that came is testing people's saliva. Um, They're looking for all the same things that they would in the swab test, but doing it in a way that is done at home. um, So it eliminates the need for A, a swab, but also B, that medical personnel. And so they created this to be offered to people with who they suspect they might have COVID. Um, This kind of research is happening kind of all around the nation in different spots. A lot of research one universities are kind of doing it, including the University of Iowa. Uh, research one in university is just a university that conducts a lot of research um, has been dubbed such so University of Iowa is one Rutgers University is one and actually has had the um, the test FDA approved and so has Yale University so University of Iowa is on board to become that next FDA approved um, university so we can start doing this at a more widespread level they have not gotten that yet so it's still in that study phase Right now, um, anyone can access the test just by emailing the lab or emailing Bow directly and can get that delivered to them. But what really happened is the performing arts, so we're talking dance, we're talking theater and the School of Music. Um, they were all at this point where they were like, oh my gosh, performing arts, like we have such a need to be in person, but how the heck are we going to do that safely um, amid the COVID-19 pandemic? So everything kind of worked out really well for them. Um, when each department, I believe it started with school music, I could be wrong, but they all started talking and communicating with Val's lab and a team of researchers that he has that are all working on this test. And so because they have a greater need, they started scheduling a more regular testing. Um, students run testing tables um, and do like student volunteers or on a paid level, depending on the department, um, and students who need to come in for rehearsals or place um or any other group gathering. The theater department does filming. They will come in maybe a couple days before that happens, get their test, pick it up. It only takes seconds to do. So what students do before they they come in to film or rehearse or do whatever they need to do in person in a group um, is they come in and they will pick up their test from that testing table in the lobby usually. They'll take it, it's two separate tubes. One of them is empty and that's the one that you snort and you spit into. And then the other one has this interesting little solution that cancels out the live virus. Um, I jokingly asked the researchers if you could just swallow it and no, that's not a thing. So don't do that. Um, But That's incorrect. Um, And then they would take that um, solution and they pour it on their saliva. So if there happened to be any active coronavirus in that saliva, it would be deactivated. Uh, The people who handle it afterwards would not be at risk. Um, And then they put it in a biohazard bag, seal it up, send it off to the lab. Uh, results come back within hours, which is really helpful for all the people who are trying to schedule rehearsals and all that stuff. Um, so they, they the leaders um, within the departments all express a lot of gratitude for that quick turnaround. Um, the safety of it all.
0: Yeah, I remember writing about that story. I always thought it was really interesting how they created an entirely new type of test just like in a molecular geneticist lab. Yeah. But I'm glad it's going to good use. But as you mentioned, performances are still taking place, whether that's like filmed or like the people are um, in person due to this testing. The testing is the reason why they're able to. So how are productions kind of still being produced while staying safe during the COVID-19 pandemic?
4: Yeah, so in addition to these tests, um, all the departments are taking a lot of different precautions going forward. So the theater department in particular um, has very few of their plays put in person or if they are in person at all for rehearsals or filming, it's only for like a couple days or a weekend. Um, and also the time that they spend in the room is reduced. Um, everyone's masked even during the play and the performance. Um, everyone's distance, they have um, they have tape on the ground to make sure everyone stays um, apart. And all of that is just precaution on top of precaution on top of precaution. Um, School of Music the same way. They're only doing small ensembles right now only a select few ensembles, but that test still happens Thursday or the Friday, at least in the theater department, before our students come in to film. And then after that, there's no live performances. Everything is virtual. It's shown on YouTube in the theater department, and I'm not entirely sure at the School of Music it's doing anything, their things, but I'm assuming most of it is virtual as well, um, to avoid having a lot of people in a crowded space in an audience.
0: So obviously all of these students, these performers, are being tested. Is there a specific procedure in place if a performer tests positive for the coronavirus?
4: Yeah. um, So in the theater department, um, all productions need to be fully prepared to go completely online if anyone tests positive. And they don't really have like, oh, we'll just wait a week. And then we'll go back at it. Um, it's it's pretty much like end everything because they're on a really tight schedule. Um, School of music, same thing. They have to be fully prepared at any time to just cut rehearsals in person um, if someone happens to test positive. Like it's kind of drastic, but at the same time, it's it's what they've put in in place. Both um, actually, all have reported that they haven't had any coronavirus positive coronavirus tests come back, which is really phenomenal. Uh, It made me question the accuracy of the test at first, but it is 95 over 95% effective. And they just happen, they just attribute all of these um, uh, negative tests to just the positive um, actions and behaviors of their students. They say it's really a testament to how these students behave and carry themselves with the responsibility of knowing that they're in a show um, that we'll be meeting in person and that they're responsible for keeping themselves and others safe.
0: Yeah, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and sharing your story with us, Josie. We hope to have you back sometime soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Follow The Daily Iowan on social media and check our website for breaking news updates and the latest COVID-19 related news. Tune in next week for another edition of On the Record.